a, a process to help predict uh, healthcare spending. These codes uh, have a, a weight and some of them uh, that you use daily for, for things don't have any weight to them. Some of the, these weights kind of tell a story about how sick the patient is. Welcome to the ACO Show. Today, Brian and Josh are joined by two guests, Dr. Kush Singh, the Senior Medical Director for Risk and Wellness at Allidade, and by Dr. Lee Church, a family practice physician in Hiawassee, Georgia, who is an expert in risk coding and practice billing. They talk about how risk coding helps predict healthcare spending, why it is important to accurately code, and how Allidade supports providers doing this important work. You will also hear about the major E&M billing changes in 2021. With me now is Kush Singh, who is the Senior Medical Director of Risk and Wellness at Allidade. Uh, Kush, you're new to Allidade and new to the ACO show, so welcome. Glad to have you. Glad to be here, Josh. Thank you. We spent some time on today's show talking about risk coding. Why does risk coding matter? Risk coding matters for all the providers to know how chronically ill their patients are and also for CMS to know what resources they have to put in place in each of these markets where providers are catering to their patients' chronic conditions, they want to budget out resources, but for that they need to collect data and they need to capture the accurate risk score by ICD-10 codes, which will be reported on the claims. So that is why it matters to the, to the government to budget out this money and allocate to patients and providers. So the risk score communicates each patient's risk to a payer, in this case, Medicare. Uh, and if it's so important, why are doctors and accountable care organizations not already good at this? So, um, you know, it's one fundamental thing. Most of the providers never went to medical school to become accurate in risk coding. And we all know that fact. They are excellent doctors. They are giving good care to the patients. They're not in the business of authoring documents. EHR has its own complexity altogether when it arrived. And we still have those things. The providers are good at treating patients and we want to let them do their excellent work. But what we do have a problem with capturing the most specific code uh, that would be transmitted on a claim. So let me put it this way. You have a banking app and you are transmitting by click of a button that you want to transfer money from one location to another person to person. And that doesn't go as real money. It goes in forms of codes. Now, what we have on the claim side is the same thing is a picture of a patient's condition on that day, which will be transmitted in form of specific ICD-10 codes. And CMS knows the patient's risk score based on the weightage or non-weightage of an ICD-10 code. That is the true profile of that patient. If the provider doesn't document enough to support a more specific code, then the patient's condition might be seen as a low risk, saying it's it's minimal risk to the patient. And the weighted code, more specific one, will be received as a higher risk or a more complex patient. That's how it works. And providers are not in the business of choosing the code. They are therefore 
hearing of the patients and document what they are seeing today um, as far as their comorbid conditions are. So the coders in, the, in a sense look at that documentation and code it out and they choose based on what provider wrote. So that is where the struggle has been that providers have difficulty choosing what depicts the true picture of that patient. So it's important to accountable care organizations. It's important to the doctors, but they're new to it. What are some things Allergate is working on to support our provider partners in this? Allergate is working behind the scenes to take up the historic claims information, current claims information, and more inputs from the EHR data, labs, medications, and sum them up with some machine learning and AI to predict, to suspect more codes and pass it on as a suggestion through the Allardate app. And this app is currently being modified, developed and improved, I would say by doctors, by risk coding experts who would make sure that a suggestion is a good suggestion to the provider. And this will help the partner providers to properly inform CMS of a patient's equity, their complexity on the next claim, on the next visit. Um, so in essence, Allardate is working to improve through the knowledge of the coding, the knowledge of the patient's uh, complexity and predict some of this through analytics and support our partner practices. Kush Singh, thanks for joining me and for the overview of HCC coding. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Josh. Hi, welcome to the ACO Show. My name is Brian Chaglinski. I'm the Communications Director here at Allidade. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Josh Israel, and we're talking today with Dr. Lee Church, who runs a private practice in rural Hiawassee, Georgia. He's also core faculty of the Northeast Georgia Medical Center Family Medicine Residency in Gainesville. He's an American Academy of Family Physicians advisor to the AMA CPT panel, and he's a member of the Georgia Allidade ACO. Today, we're talking about ENM codes, risk coding, and what doctors and their practices should know with some of the changes coming up in 2021. Let's start broad. Can you tell us a little bit about risk coding? What is it and, and why do we call it risk coding? Well, you know, it's, it's a confusing name because it doesn't really tell exactly what it means. And the first time I heard about it, I thought that I was being audited because I had done something risky and and it just doesn't describe things. But once you understand that that this was a, is a process to help predict uh, healthcare spending, um, it starts to make a little bit more sense. And and so different, you know, there, there are probably uh, 10,000 codes that have a, a risk uh, um, factor associated with it. And, and so these these codes uh, have a, a weight and some of them uh, that you use daily for, for things don't have any weight to them. So becoming aware of what, what codes have weight that are, are typical things that you manage is important. But uh, some of the, these weights kind of tell a story about how sick the patient is. So uh, a patient who has a GFR or, or stage three creatinine clearance um, is probably at greater risk for having problems than someone who has a GFR of 90. So you can tell that story with, with the codes. And I, you know, for the insurance companies, it's important as we're doing um, allocation of resources and things. And so there are a lot of things that are connected with, with that and, and even with surgeons and things. 
if they spend more money taking care of a, a certain a joint replacement or something, if they don't tell the story of how that the patient had a heart failure and so forth along with it, it looks like they're overspending. And it is just important across the board really to, to code accurately. And we can talk a little bit more about what that means. Sean Cavanaugh, who's the head of policy here at Allidade, uh, has said that when it comes to policy, it can be fair or it can be simple, but not both. And that very much comes to mind for me regarding risk coding, where if there was not risk coding, there would be um, disincentive for some providers possibly to take on the work of much sicker patients. Um, we certainly want people who work with sicker patients to get reimbursed better. We want uh, payers to have incentive to take on all, all comers of patients. But the result is that the HCC system is incredibly complex. What, what are some of the differences between uh, the risk coding systems of the different payers, Medicare Advantage, um, Accountable Care, Commercial Insurance? Can you speak to any of those? Well, so so I guess in general, I mean, I mean, there's also things with different pharmacy benefits, and there's there's all kinds of things that play into risk coding and demographics and incomes, things that you aren't necessarily responsible for for inputting that are also taken into account. But they all have their their formulas on how they weigh some things. But but in general, it's probably not productive to try to tease out the exact difference between each one. It's just more to know that they are watching for accurate coding. So if you code accurately, the rest takes care of itself. So more codes doesn't necessarily mean better coding either, but recognizing that an unspecified code in certain areas may not reflect any additional anticipated cost when in fact the cost may be substantial with this patient. That's great. I think uh, one issue that obviously a lot of people are paying attention to as we start 2021 are the pretty large scale E&M changes. Uh, how does that factor in and how should be how should uh, physicians and their practices be thinking about those changes as we start the year? So if you have not heard about these E&M changes, you're not alone. I'm, it's surprising, but there are plenty of folks who who have been so busy taking care of patients that they have missed this, but we haven't had any changes like this in more than 20 years to the office-based coding system. And basically, what were the biggest, I guess in a summary statement, the bullet points for exam and history are no longer required as part of your documentation to support your billing. So it is all based on medical decision-making. Now, you still need to do a history and physical as appropriate for the patient, but it, there's this medical decision-making table that it all comes down to. And there's some, some references we can, we can share on the Allidade Learning Center for some education that's already been done that's very good. But that's, that's the gist of it. Don't worry about bullet points. You're gonna be spending your time taking care of the patient, not clicking on bullet points and counting those up and, and being worried that you're gonna get an audit because of a click. So mostly you're gonna just gonna be describing your thought process. Now, your coders can't guess, so if it's a high risk or a moderate risk, you just need to state that and state why. Another major part of that is the rules are the same, whether it's a new patient or an established patient. And then finally, time-based coding is substantially different as well. Before, the time only counted if you were face-to-face -face with the patient, and now it's any time pretty much that you've spent with a patient on the date of the visit. So any time at all working toward that patient counts. Now there is a different table, whether it's 
an established patient or a new patient for that time-based coding. And that's all on the uh, Learning Center website. I, I picture somebody in Medicare looking at a medical record of a family member and seeing the results of the prior system of bullet points, how it just silted up the chart with just extraneous information so that medical notes just became incredibly long and almost impossible to read. So these are certainly welcome changes. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. I had, had I talked to a doctor yesterday who said they weren't even doing the, the bullet points anymore. They just summarized it in a, in a, in a short and sweet uh, soap note. So you can, you can spend your energy um, on the, on, on the storytelling and then maybe even adding a little bit more energy on telling that story through your more proper coding through your ICD-10 coding, not just your E&M coding. Any major takeaways that you think doctors should know beyond those? It's just sort of practical, practical things to be taking into account with the new system. So, so on the new system, I think um, there's a table that, that, um, that's available. And I think just having that on your desk as a, um, as a reminder of, of the rules, but in short, I guess the easy way to, you know, for level four for our chronic conditions, if you've got two chronic diseases and you're managing a prescription, that's a level four and you just need to illustrate that. Don't worry about all the other details of the, of the coding rules. So that's a kind of an easy tip there for, for workflow. And then the, um, another thing that it's important to know that this also came along with some RVU increases too. So, um, so there's some increased pays. That's another major part of these changes. And, and I would say going back to the risk adjustment things and, and also maybe with the E&M, but mostly with the risk adjustment is engage your team to help you with the coding. So if they're, if they're at uh, stage three or worse chronic kidney disease, let them drop that into the note. And then of course you can sign off on things and then because uh, it's still your note um, or, or if they're obese, go ahead and let them drop down those as well. And, and that also might prompt you to have some discussions about those things too, which is, was, which is better care for those patients. So I think engage your team. And then, and then also there, there are things that are happening uh, that are not necessarily during a visit and you are allowed to drop codes um, as a note, even if you aren't managing that topic at the moment. So, um, so you're, as long as your E&M code stands on its own, you can still drop those codes in with a note and let your staff members assist you with that. Uh, Dr. Lee Church of Hiawassee, Georgia. We really appreciate your expertise on uh, E&M and HEC risk coding. My pleasure. Glad to be here. This episode of the ACO Show was produced by Brittany Barnes and Hannah Posner. Our theme music is by Donna Korn. You can find previous episodes on our website, Alliday.com, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. ACO Show.